Welcome to the RF Angle with your host, Ryan Fournier. Your thoughts out loud. What is up, guys? I am here today with a very special guest, someone who, you know, I would label really as a patriot and a hero in his own right. Uh, His story, in my view, personifies um, that any common man or woman with grit, charisma, and a will to fight can run for office on a solid platform and best almost anyone in the room. And that person I'm talking about is Mark Walker, who is currently right now in the race for U.S. Senate in North Carolina. He has a very interesting story, and I'm, and I'm going to tie this into Donald Trump a little bit. Um, Mark was a Baptist minister. He's a man of God, a warrior of Christ, uh, and this passion and faith led him to running for Congress in 2014. He was just one of the nine Republicans competing in a Republican district that was previously held by the great Howard Coble, who was in office since 1985, uh, and he was retiring. Walker finished second in his primary. Phil Berger Jr., who is the son of arguably, and we talked about this, arguably the most uh, uh, prominent political family in the state of North Carolina, he finished first. But no candidate received over 40% of the the primary vote, leading to a runoff race, where Walker unexpectedly won 60% of the vote, defeating Phil Berger Jr., and went on to defeat the Democrat challenger. Now, where this comes into play with President Trump is this sounds very similar to the election of President Donald J. Trump, a man who lived a billionaire lifestyle on Fifth Avenue in New York, has numerous five-star properties all across the country, an amazing family, and he gave all of that up for consistent bashing in the media every single day where his supporters, his family, it felt like every single day we were waking up and being curb-stomped in the face by the leftist media uh, every single day in this country. And I have a question, too, in this, is if he was so terrible, why did they always make up lies Mm. every single day? Why did they lie about the things he did or the things he said? Well, he gave up all of that when he went down the golden escalator in 2015. And when I first watched his speech... My reaction was met with skepticism. I think for for you being a Baptist pastor at the time, people probably thought you had no chance, right? People probably thought that when you looked at the fact that there was nine other people. uh, They didn't just think it. They they let me know about it as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and, and sometimes they're pretty loud about it, too. Um, But, you know, when you look at President Trump, he was, for one, an uh, entertainer. He was a real estate mogul. He was the host of The Apprentice. That's where my skepticism came in, because many thought he wasn't serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but this eventually was met with realism and optimism. We lost, folks, the last two presidential elections because you had establishment candidates who did not know how to connect with middle America. They didn't know how to connect or awaken the silent majority in this country. All of this reminded me that you do not need to be a politician to run for office. The founding fathers never said you needed to be a politician. They wanted statesmen. Mm -hmm. They wanted people to rise up from the working class and run for office. And in some cases, like we saw with President Trump, he did a much better job than people who were in politics for 20 plus years. I mean, look at Joe Biden. But this is what 
got me thinking about, Mark, your candidacy uh, in your race. Despite the odds being against you, you prevailed. You prevailed against these nine other candidates and the son of, like I said before, one of the most uh, powerful political figures in the state of North Carolina. Um, And with that, I want to introduce you, Mark Walker, uh, who hopefully will be the next senator for the great state of North Carolina. Thank you, Ryan. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you for all the good work that you are doing, not just for North Carolina, but around the country. I have watched you. Uh, you have a gift as a, being a clear communicator and how you've supported uh, President Trump, I think, uh, deserves a shout out as well. Uh, but yes, you, you've been able to articulate a little bit of our background and uh, it, it was quite a journey. We actually stepped away from the church uh, December 31st, 2013. That way there would be no conflict of interest. And we put everything that we had. I remember uh, you made me think of something. In January 2014, uh, one of the local papers listed our cash on hand at $8,000 compared to our <laughs> opponent who was willing to the several hundred thousand and said it was impossible for him to win. And even in this context, people like to look at some of those parameters. And I think it was Rudy Tomjanovich, the coach of the Houston Rockets, that said, never underestimate the heart of a champion. When you feel led or when you feel called to do something, uh, you don't you don't weigh other factors. Uh, it, it's kind of like uh, when you meet that uh, special young lady or whatever. You don't care who she's dating or who she has dated. You say, this is who I feel like God's called me to, to, to maybe eventually even partner and marry. And that's right. the kind of the same passion that we see, and that's what I pursued in this race. I think that really speaks a lot because I know, you know, just reading up on you and, you know, hearing from friends who've worked with you or have been close to your campaign, you know, your faith leads you in in everything you do. And I think that that's what's important. And that's why I think I have much more trust in you than I would have with other people who served on the Hill, is that you're a man of God, you're a man of faith. And I I can just feel that the Holy Spirit um, is is a part of you every single day. Uh, And God's touched you in ways that many other people can't even imagine or think of. And that's led you to be not only good at what you do, not only can, like you have a really good connection with the people. I've seen that. I've noticed, I've seen that at the events. We held a rally in Winston-Salem last year, Uh, Dan Forrest, Kim Guilfoyle, Don Jr., Charlie Kirk, myself. And I just remember for the majority of the time, I saw you walking around and just talking to anybody you could, you know, anybody you could talk to, anybody you can meet and greet. Uh, and, I, and you just don't see that often. Usually at a rally or something like that, the politicians, they get escorted into the front, they sit down, they don't move, they don't talk. Uh, you were just mingling throughout the crowd. And it just, I think it speaks to your character. It speaks, uh, you know, to what I was saying earlier, the grit, the charisma, the dedication to public service, what you've done for the state of North Carolina over these years in public service absolutely tremendous. Well, listen, it's genuine. I love connecting with people. I love traveling throughout North Carolina. I have realized it's nine and a half hours wide, yeah. uh, which, which is great. But this, but because the reason it's, why, it, it's one of the, yes, <laughs> it's one of the reasons that I never moved my family to Washington, D.C. My job was to come back home to serve in that capacity, to attend the everything from the Eagle Scout pinnings to the Lincoln Reagan dinners is to be visible because mm-hmm. what happens A lot of these politicians, Ryan, as you know, they go to Washington, D.C., and they lose their focus, and they lose the direction. And I think staying in touch with the people that you represent. The other thing that I realize is if you're not based in faith, Mm -hmm. your hope is in politics, 
and I've watched the guys in D.C., those are the people who get blown around a little bit, right. who go as a champion because they're not grounding in something more powerful, which is faith in my faith. I'm not unashamedly a follower of Jesus Christ. Right. And when you're anchored in that, you can go to in any environment and be willing to hold the line. The other point I want to make on that is just because you're someone of a person of faith does not mean that you don't speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Even if you look at Jesus's model, he had no problem calling out the religious political leaders of the day. Exactly. Now, now laterally, uh, and I think there's a lesson here learned, one of the things that I have such a burden for impoverished and minority communities is some of the lies that have been perpetrated by some of the politicians, by the left, and has literally oppressed many of these communities, and that's part of the passion that I have in moving forward in this position. That That is one thing, too, that I also want to talk about, is you have been very successful um, making inroads and connecting with the black community. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, maybe it was 2018 or 2019, you held that panel with uh, HBCU University presidents, yes. uh, sort of as a meeting greet, to kind of get this ball rolling with President Trump, who I would say was the most pro-African-American president in recent modern-day history. No question. Because of these the platinum plan, right? Talking about billions of dollars in access to capital, the African-American communities, churches in the black community being able to compete at a national level for grants, uh, job opportunities, unlike anything we've ever seen before. Even under Barack Obama, you didn't see these things. All of this change, you know, what happened to the change, right? Well, to me, it was a change in your pocket, right? It was nothing. And... This guy, I mean, President Trump comes out of nowhere and just changes the entire plan, changes Mm -hmm. it for the party. Because instead of campaigning for these votes once a year before an election, it was a 24-7, 365 strategy. And it worked because we got near 30 percent of the minority vote from non-white voters. Trump did better with minorities than any other GOP candidate in 60 years and i have to attribute some of that to you because i mean you you did this panel and i think this led to a lot of the discussions with president trump Mm -hmm. doing that permanently because i I believe it was they had to reapply every single year for grants and funding from the federal government right But, but that's that's the left's whole strategy is to keep that control over the minority communities and once and president trump deserves a lot of credit in in look at things like unemployment in other areas, he had a way of speaking straight to the heart. But what we have seen is this this oppression from the left is to make uh, these wonderful people continue to return hat in hand. So yes, I, I decided to do something that Barack Obama never did, and that would be to invite all 101 HBCU chancellors, historical black college university chancellors of Washington, D.C. I was told by some in our own leadership they'll never show up. 87 of them did. Wow. And we began to forge a relationship to talk about issues that matter and to dispel the stereotype by the Democrats and by the left that we didn't care about what was going on in, in these education universities. No, I mean, that, I mean that, that, you see, that's, that's the difference, I think, between what the party has become now. The GOP, you know, it really has become a big tent party. It's become a party about supporting the country uh, before, I think the best analogy is putting on your uh, your mask on an airplane before you putting it on someone else, right? And I, and I think that that's one of the the biggest things that comes out of this administration was that he helped people that the party once may have never reached out to before. And the Democrats, you know, the political analysts, all the consultants out there in D.C. said, you know what, we don't need to reach out to this group of people mm-hmm. because, you know, we're writing them off. We're never going to get that vote. That's right. But he... He changed that. He said, you know what? No, we won't get the vote if we don't try. Right. 
you don't get something if you don't if you don't persevere, if you don't keep going after it and after it and after it until you get it, right? And he did that. And and that was I think one of the most impressive things to me. But, you know, one of the reasons why I still wish you were in Congress, you are doing something uh, I think, you know, very noble right now running for Senate, but I wish we had you there to talk about this 1.9 trillion dollar oh stimulus bill. Well, I'm talking uh, about it. You know, the permanent pandemic welfare state that we are creating in this country with these stimulus bills, uh, it's laughable that they think $1,400 is going to help someone who lives in New York City when the rent there for a one-bedroom, like 400-square-foot apartment is about three grand. So, you know, and I don't even think that that's even going to help. You know, this demand-side redistribution of money, you know, what do people do? They go pay off their student loan debts. They go pay off loans to the bank. You know, they don't put it back into the economy the way that, you know, a lot of people think it's going to work. Um, and that's where you're seeing the problem. I mean, right now, and you would probably agree with me, we're seeing the greatest expansion of welfare, the welfare state, uh, since LBJ. Yes. And people are saying right now, it's like, oh, well, inflation's not here yet. Inflation's not here yet. There is most definitely inflation. Yeah. And and I forget the the best way to describe this to the viewers who are listening, who may not understand what inflation is, is the amount of dollars in our economy is outpacing the production of goods and services, right? And the best way to destroy the middle class, the best way to destroy it and keep people in poverty, keep people um, sort of down to the roots and, and keep the party in power that's in power right now, right? The Democrats, this is Karl Marx's theory. Mm-hmm. This is Karl Marx's theory, and you're seeing it happen right now. No, you're exactly right. And, and, and you think about this package, 9% of it actually went to COVID relief. Uh, the vice president got a few million dollars for her alma mater. You go down the list, the pet projects. It is absolutely ridiculed, or ridiculous, full of pork. But here's, here's Washington math. A $1,400 stimulus that's going to cost you about $4,600 to pay back in taxes, right, over yeah. time. So, so yeah, go right figure away. that one out. But but there's also a second part of this. Mm-hmm. The last two years, I was ranking member on intelligence and counterterrorism uh, on Homeland Security, and I did a deep dive on China and some of the things that's going on there. So every dollar that we borrow from China becomes more and more of a national security threat as well. Right. We, we talk about the financial aspects and the reduction and the contrition of the American dream for our children and grandchildren. That is a huge part of it, and we could spend two hours talking about it. But let's also not forget about the national security condition that it continues to help fast track become the world superpower. The buildup, and yeah. I've seen the video of the evidence, the buildup in the, mili- the military buildup by China in the South China Sea, it, it should be frightening all They're of us. They're doing it right now. They are doing it right speaking. now, and we're paying for it by when mm-hmm. we we, when we pass these ex, ex, enormous, exorbitant, crazy debt-ridden stimulus packages, so-called stimulus packages, that money primarily is borrowed from China at a rate that we cannot keep up with, and it's a dangerous place for us. Well, maybe this is something because, you know, Senator Marsha Blackburn and I have talked often about China's threat. I'm sure yes. you've heard of the new Silk Road, yes. the Confucius Institutes. This is a massive geopolitical threat. The fact that they are going to other countries within the region and even outside of their region, creating deals with them to where, hey, we'll develop these roads, we'll build you new buildings, we'll build you a port to receive goods. But if you can't pay this amount of money, this absorbent amount of money that most of these countries will never be able to afford, uh, then we get to be within your country for a period of 100 years or something. That's what they're doing. And so they're slowly taking over ports. They're slowly building, building military bases. And many of these... Uh, impoverished nations. Um, 
and and they're getting away with it. They are getting away with it, but but this is where Trump's uh, President Trump's instincts were so spot on. Yeah, this isn't something that, that he came to Washington and discovered. He had been talking about this for three decades yeah. when it comes to the bad trade deals and what China was doing to us when it comes to, right here in North Carolina, uh, tobacco, textiles, and furniture specifically. Uh, these trade deals continue to put a deficit on us while taking the jobs at the same time. He was raising the flag on this. Go back to the Oprah Winfrey show year, years ago. Yeah. This was something that was important to him. It came from his heart. And we were beginning to see some movement these last four years as far as that America first mentality that obviously this Biden administration cares nothing about. Well, yeah, I, and I wanted to touch on that, too, before we get back into the stimulus. But, I, you know, it's it's insane to me that, you know, our key ingredients to pharmaceuticals made in China, they even threatened when COVID happened to withhold them so we couldn't develop a vaccine or a drug to, uh, you know, to withstand COVID-19. Uh, you know, you got Confucius Institutes yes. on, on college campuses all across the country with data setters larger than probably an IBM data center on college campuses, believe it or not. Uh, where Joe Biden, I don't know if you heard about this, he secretly rescinded the executive order that President Trump signed that compelled universities, post-secondary education, uh, high schools to tell, you know, to report if they are receiving money from the Communist Party of China. He rescinded that. Now, why would he rescind that order? That only did good. That only did good for us to know what universities are getting money from China. Well, it's because Joe Biden is bought and paid by China. Along with four other Bidens and uh, the family. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, this is payback. I, I wonder how much money Hunter's making right now. I really am curious uh, and to see what, what he makes in the next four years. But that's another topic. But I wanted to get back into this $1.9 sure. trillion dollar stimulus bill because this, this is a behemoth here. There's a lot of pork in this. I don't think it really does anything beneficial for Americans who've been suffering the last year and a half. Um, we're talking about direct cash payments bailouts for democrat states meanwhile and i don't know if you knew this california's in a surplus right now but of course they're going to get some of this bailout money while they're running a surplus um it really makes you think here of the freedoms being given up in exchange for the money that's being given um it seems like being free and being independent is less popular nowadays um while reliance on the government is on a very dangerous rise. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that right now, how people are just, you know, you've probably seen the stuff on Twitter. You have Biden voters who are tweeting saying, where's my $2,000? Wish I voted for Trump. Trump would have had my Trump bucks to me, you know, one a month ago, right? People have become so reliant on the fact of getting this, this, I mean, it really isn't even that much money when you think about it. And, 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 and they're giving up freedom in the process of it. And like you said earlier, they're going to be paying double on that in taxes. Well, yeah, I, I think of the Ronald Reagan words. What did he say? The nine, the nine scariest words or dangerous words. Hi, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Yeah. Uh, that, that dependency, though, is now a generational thing where even through our education system, that students are being taught that the federal government is your end all for everything that you could encounter in life, psychologically, emotionally, scholastically, uh, sometimes even spiritually. Yeah. That's There's an instinct to look to the federal government first, as opposed to the history that made this country great, was to look at that individual opportunity, prosperity, responsibility. And that's the cataclysmic uh, shift that we have seen 
in the last uh, maybe 15, 20 years. And that's why we've got to get out there and make sure that we're communicating what America was built on, but also right. what is the personal hope of prosperity for each individual. It is not looked to the government. There's no historical precedent that the government's going to do it better than private sector. And that's exactly. what we've got to change. Well, we even saw that with President Trump. <laughs> where he was relying on the private sector to mobilize our COVID response. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that was phenomenal. We saw what the private sector could do if government went out there and actually said they needed the help, um, because they truly did. If this was just a government response, it would be entirely worse than what we're dealing with right now. But I thought his response was timely. I thought he did the right things with yes. what he had. When you look at you know the surplus of masks, the ventilators, he sent New York... All of what they needed to Andrew Cuomo sent a massive ship there. They only used like five of the beds on the ship. Yep. So that tells me they really weren't having that big of an issue up there. And then, you know, Andrew Cuomo, I wouldn't even get into that. The guy who got an Emmy for his COVID response and, and they wanted him to jump in the race. And now you see what's happening yeah. with Why Andrew Cuomo. Why use the ship when he could send them to the nursing homes? Yeah, yeah well, yeah. they did that. They did that. And that's they need to be held accountable for that. You know, Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, as well as yeah, Andrew absolutely. Cuomo. I mean, they lied about the numbers of the amount of deaths in the nursing homes. Uh, I mean, this is criminal. And if this were done by any, you know, I no. dare I say he's not a private citizen, but any normal person who isn't a part of this Democrat elitist class, they'd be thrown in jail for 20 years. Uh, and, and, I mean, with the assisted murder of all of these people. Uh, it's absolutely disgusting. But, you know, I think that, you know, one thing I say um, when I talked to Senator Marsha Blackburn last, is that we, we need to hold China accountable because we know this virus came from China. Uh, they got away with it so far, um, but they should pay for it. Um, they should pay for it like what they're doing right now uh, to Joe Biden's family. Um, it's, it's absolutely absurd that we had to shut ourselves down. We had to shut down our economies. You look at a state like Florida who just said, you know what, screw that. We're opening back up and now they're booming. Yes. I look at the state of Florida. North Carolina could have been there, too, had Dan Forrest uh, been our governor. We would have been there. But, you know, this this is just a piece of this this deal. Like I said, permanent pandemic welfare state that we're into. Um, and I just hope that, you know, when you get to Senate, we must hold China accountable. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We must. And when it comes to the overall, uh, we're talking about these spendings, I I'm very proud that the last time there was a balanced budget amendment to vote on the floor, yeah. I led that effort. I had to negotiate it with Speaker Ryan at the time, but we were able to get that. The sad part of this, we had 240 Republicans in the House, only 142 voted for a balanced budget, the same rule that all states and others have to combine. That's why we need the right Republicans there serving in the U.S. Congress. And and that's what, you know, I, I will tell the listeners and everyone who's who's watching this or seeing the video format of this um we are going to be working aggressively these next year and a half to make sure that we get rid of the republicans who voted to impeach president trump the republicans who didn't vote along the lines to support america first policies and to help this country it was detrimental some of these votes and now we're going to be dealing with it for four years two years of dealing with them having a unified government where they could pass segments of the Green New Deal. They can strip away AR-15s. They can make Washington, D.C., uh, Puerto Rico a, a state, uh, they're, thereby solidifying a permanent Democratic majority in the Senate, because we both know how that's going to work. Yeah, expanding the Supreme Court as well. Yeah, that's it's another dangerous factor there. Expanding the Supreme Court, the open borders policies that we're seeing right mm -hmm. now, which we all know, why is it that right as they open up the threshold, they open up the, the barriers at the border, they're also passing the stimulus bill 
uh, to give out all these money, all these benefits. They're reaffirming free health care for illegal immigrants. They're not sending them back during the adjudication process. So they're getting uh, running rampant and free. This is what we're dealing with. And I hope people wake up. I really do hope that in the next four years, people realize the damage that has been done just in the first two to three months, the first hundred days, if we should even say that, and then realize that they made a mistake and that they should be voting for Donald Trump. Well, I, I, you probably saw the article, Ryan, about uh, these evangelicals that now regret their vote for Joe Biden. Yeah. I mean, what, uh, you know, what was it? Or George the progressive Stro- or exactly. the progressives who said he, he's not too he's not progressive enough. And it's like, you guys should have known that. Yeah. 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 How did you not see this coming? You know, was it George Strait song, uh, Arizona oceanfront property or something? I mean, this, this is absolutely ridiculous, but I'm hoping uh, you're talking about the four years. I'm hoping that within two years, uh, Republicans can take back the house, yeah. can, can uh, mute, uh, if you will, Nancy Pelosi from passing that stuff on to the Senate because we're at an urgent place. I'm not a gloom and doom guy. I'm a hopeful guy, but the damage that can be done to the very fabric of this country over the next yeah. two to four years ought to scare everybody enough to make sure that they're informed and involved. Yeah. And hopefully we get enough votes to fire Nancy Pelosi. So she never serves as speaker of the house ever again, Absolutely. because that's, that's a mess in itself. I wanted to take a moment to talk about my good friend, Mike Lindell. Since I joined this fight, Mike has always stood by our movement, regardless of the consequences to his family or business. Now, as we speak, the cancel culture left is canceling my pillow. Almost 20 stores took my pillow off their shelves. I'm asking you for a favor. I need you to support my pillow and show Mike we stand with him. Go to mypillow.com, use code HOPE45 to receive up to 66% off. Guys, the code is HOPE45. 45. Hope 45 for up to 66% off. We cannot let the cancel culture win. Code Hope 45 for up to 66% off. Mike is fighting for us. Now let's fight for him. Welcome back to the RF Angle with your host, Ryan Fournier. I am here today with a very special guest, Mark Walker, who hopefully will be the next senator for the great state of North Carolina. But I wanted to, you know, shift this. We did talk a little bit on the border. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? Um, and do you see a bigger picture here? Because, I mean, I kind of chimed in on this a little bit more earlier that, you know, they're allowing illegals in. They're pushing this $1.9 billion uh, stimulus bill, knowing that these immigrants are more likely to vote Democrat, you know, moving to all of the states like Texas, which there's a fear now that with all these migrants going to Texas, that they're going to have an ability to possibly even flip this state in some key Republican districts we have there. Um, you know, how can Republicans work to fix this crisis in this climate right now? Well, moving forward, uh, there was actually a chance to do it when uh, when we had both houses uh, yeah. back the first two years and President Trump was pleading for legislation to get done. We had a few that got in the way of that, uh, obviously, but moving forward, I, I, I think we, I think Vice President Pence said in the majority you legislate, the minority you communicate. Mm-hmm. I think what we have to do right now is make sure that people get a clear picture. You won't find it in the mainstream media. You won't find it through the big tech. You won't find it really anywhere else. Uh, I've been to the Rio Grande Valley. I've been to the border. I've met with these border agents. Uh, these are some of the hardest working, finest people you will ever meet in your life. Yeah. And I get a little passionate about it for what I've seen, the amount of fentanyl, the amount of human trafficking that goes there. I was the first new member of the 114th class to pass anti-human trafficking legislation. So what's happening is there's a humanitarian crisis on both sides of the border. What these coyotes and these drug dealers are doing to these precious families Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what they're doing to the young boys and the young girls without getting into detail ought to raise the hair on every American enough to engage and say, this has got to stop. Thank God for President Trump 
who was able to work deals to keep some of these migrants on the other side of Mexico to be able to process some of this. Because this catch and release, not only do we not know what's coming in the border from the drugs and human trafficking, we don't know specifically from criminal backgrounds. The ones that we do catch or have a higher percentage of a criminal background, sometimes even returning to this state. Uh, when Jason Chaffetz was chair of the oversight, we were able to document 39,000 in one year that were caught. How many are getting passed? Well, I mean, it's not even that, though. I mean, it's it's I mean, major problem that I've heard from people in Homeland Security is that a lot of them have fake papers. They don't have proper records on them. So you don't know really what they've done. They could have came from Venezuela and murdered a small family, you know, yes. God forbid. And you just don't know. Right. And so they're they're allowing them into this country. They just released a report, actually, individuals um, that Homeland Security have on a watch list for terrorism are now starting to exploit the southern border. They've already caught, I think, nine of them. Well, when and, you, and how when many you, more? When you, right? Ryan, when you mock President Trump's policies, it's not just sending the signal. When you blatantly say borders are basically open now, well, what do you think's going to happen? Yeah. And, and now we're being overrun. There's no way these border agents. And here's the thing, Ryan. When our own men and women serving it are begging, are pleading with this yeah. administration to engage, and they look the other way, how offensive is that? Th- these men and women are putting their lives on the line, mm-hmm. trying to stop and protect the rest of our country, and they're begging this administration for help, and they simply won't even refer to it what it is, which is a they, they humanitarian won't. crisis. And I, and I wanted to touch on that, too. You know, Not a single dollar is going to fix this crisis at the border in the stimulus bill. Even Jen Psaki, if you saw the press conference the other day, admitted that the administration could be doing more to prevent the influx of migrants. They just won't call it a crisis, which is what this is. FEMA is there. They are a crisis response team. Exactly. They are at the border right now trying to help these families. It's also important to note that under Trump, migrants were sent back to their countries to wait out adjudication. Migrants were detained at the border for crossing illegally. And of course, yes, separated from their children as normal procedure done when you commit a criminal act. It is still in the United States a criminal act to enter the United States illegally. If you're arrested for a crime and your child is with you with nowhere to go, the child is separated from you. They do not put the child in the jail cell. I just have to make this so clear for people to understand this on the left. They do not, if you go out and get arrested right now and your child has nowhere to go, they're not going to sit with you in the penitentiary next to you playing an Xbox. It just doesn't <clears throat> no, work. And, like and, that. and there's an important point on that, Ryan. When I was at the border, uh, one thing is I asked the, uh, the, ba- the, the agents, how many of these fences were built during the Trump administration? You know what they told me? Zero. Zero. Uh, yeah. the, the second part of this is that they have a responsibility to make sure that child is who those people that they're bringing. Who, exactly. And a lot of times it's not. Sometimes those children are recycled to be able to get other people for the whole catch and release aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something. But, but let's make one point clear when people say, well, you guys aren't compassionate. America right now has 25% more foreign-born citizens than any country in the world. America takes an average of 1 million illegal immigrants, not illegal immigrants, but legal immigrants that become citizens. That's more than any other country in the world. So don't give me this junk about the fact that we don't care. About, we're the most philanthropic country in yes. the world. We've sent more 100%. missionaries from remote. So, so don't give me this junk. America is leading the way, but we also have an obligation that when members raise that right hand to swear an oath to protect the Constitution, to protect the citizens, that's something that we need to take serious as well. Uh, you make a profound point because, yes, people will always say that, oh, you know, you either have a one way or the other, right, with, with someone who doesn't agree with you. It's like, well, oh, you must not care about the children if you're allowing them to be put in, in cages. And they're not cages. They're 
Uh, they're getting better treatment than some students living yes. in inner cities across the country. Um, but there are laws. We are a nation of laws. And there has to be a process. Um, and it's unfortunate that people are making that decision to traverse numerous countries without even trying to stop for asylum in, in a country before they get to the USA, but making that dangerous track with their child or with someone else's child or with someone they've kidnapped or to bring drugs into the U.S., they're making that decision on their own to do that. And it's just, it's, it's terrible. Um, and it's, it's horrifying to even think about that people are willing to do that. And so I just tell people all the time, I say, listen, we're a nation of laws. We have processes. Yes, they can be perfected. There's two sides to it. There's adjudication. There's border security. And it should be a priority of both Republican and Democrat to make the process fair, to make it equal, to make sure be, people are being treated right. It should be. One of the things that stand out to me uh, when I was at the border is going into the director's offices and they keep a track as far as how many countries. A lot of people have the misnomer. This is a few people coming from, from Central America countries. There were 41 different countries that they had been apprehended there at the border. So that's part of the responsibility of making sure that we're protecting our citizens. Let me go into this question as well, because I'm sure you've been asked this a lot. Um, and I know President Trump may have hinted at this a few days ago when he got on the stage uh, at the Mar-a-Lago. Um, Laura Trump has a, a big name, right? Uh, a big, big name. Um, how do you win against the Trump name? Yeah. Well, I'm not worried about the Lara part of the name. The, the, the Trump part of the name is not. <laughs> the, uh, we, we, uh, listen, I, I have nothing but, but wonderful things to say about the family. They, they have withstood a great deal of persecution for trying to do what's right. Um, but but I will say that one of the things I feel like that uh, that we're passionate about is is the area of service. Not everything that you see happens when it comes to representing happens in Washington D.C. Uh, a good part of the job is what we call the constituent services. Right. We were able to close over eighteen hundred veterans' cases in the last sixteen uh, six years, and I think that part of it. If you count my time as a pastor and member of Congress, I think I've added up. We got over seven thousand days of where we're in this community in North Carolina serving. Now, at some right. point, it, it's certainly not anything that forbids um, uh, Miss Trump to move from New York to move here and decide to run for that. I personally think that she has a stronger influence uh, with the rest of the Trump family, helping choose and select the right kind of people that should be running for office, as opposed to going head to head with people. I, I, we just uh, 538 just released data last week. If I was currently serving in the Senate, either last two years or the lifetime, I would have the highest number one U.S. Senate score for the Trump most Trump pro-conservative in all of the U.S. Senate. Wow. So I, I would hate to see that that those two are going together, spending resources when I feel like there's there's some things that sh that, that she can do that I can't do. I can't go out and impact this on a national level right. like she and Don Jr. and the President Trump can, and I believe they will. And I think peeling that off and going to a head-to-head -head race, which I think, you know, uh, being a pastor here, I'm connected with five to 700 pastors that represent probably between four and 500,000 people. And I, does it give you a little bit of advantage? It does, but those are why those relationships are so much very, are so very important. Uh, I think it's going to be, a, it would be an interesting race to say the least. Uh, but, and, and listen, I'm not telling her what she should or shouldn't do, but I do think that, that man, we, we've, I, I believe the job that we've done the last six years, we've been tested, we've been tried in a place that gets very dark. We've stood the test, and I think we can take that same passion and same record to work with Mike Lee and Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and others in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, you know, I, I most certainly agree with that. I mean, Laura's 
been a, a big friend for a long time. The work she's done uh, really to help the Trump campaign out, uh, Trump TV that she, she spearheaded out there, I think really got a lot of people involved. Mm-hmm. I think it motivated, especially suburban women. I think she helped a lot with that. Her and Mercedes Schlapp, they did a phenomenal job getting out there and getting that vote. Um, but I want to ask you something else, too. Uh, you know, And this is a question I think is asked to so many people, but I think it's so incredibly difficult to actually do. I should say um, term limits. Mm-hmm. You know, what is your opinion on term limits, and would you do a pledge uh, with your voters in that regard? You know, I I, I saw this uh, put this tweet out today. I did the math. The U.S. is 244 years old, um, and 13 members of the spe- the Senate have spent a total of 434 years in Congress. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in term limits. In fact, we've already put it in writing. Uh, and I know some of my libertarian friends out there say, well, you know, you, your term limits are, are, are people that are voting or not voting for you. Yeah. But here's where I differ with that a little bit. The founding fathers never envisioned the amount of money from special interest that would sink their claws into government elected officials. Exactly. That's why you have to have some kind of pushback on the narrative that, that once you get elected. Uh, my best argument if 12 years was your maximum time that you could spend either in the House or Senate, Nancy Pelosi would have had to go home in 1999. Usually I win the argument right there. <laughs> but, 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 but it is important because – Would it be such a bad thing? If you are willing to go take on the system like President Trump showed us how to do, there's a wear and tear. Yeah. And eventually it will wear you to the place that you just begin – and I've seen this in Congress for six years – members that have been there 20, 25, 30, 35, even 40 years, they just reverberate back to the back row and they push whatever button leadership tells them to push. That's not representation. Yeah. No, it's not. It's 100%. I mean, we've seen that, uh, you know, I hate to say, you know, people like Dianne Feinstein, um, you know, I mean, but there have been times where she's kind of just stuck it to them and said, you know what, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, I've been here longer than you, I guess, right? Um, But yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that really always bugged me about Congress is people just kind of waste space and take up air yeah and they don't think for themselves they're there they get all this lobbying money and you know we saw this in the you know well i didn't but i read about it in the 70s talking about you know lobbyists and special interests coming in uh you know because i mean really realistically when you're talking about i mean this may be even a conversation to extend the term of of a house of rep a member of the house of representatives because the moment they get in office it's like they're fundraising yes you know on day one um and i and i think that that's a distraction i think that it causes good people to uh, sort of wary over to a side that they weren't on when they were running, uh, just to raise some dollars to beat the primary you know, opponent that they may have or the Democrat challenger. Um, and so, no, I really thank you for talking about that because I, I think that that's something that we need. We, we, you know, we live in a, in a system where people want to be a politician their entire life, right? And it's different if you're a commentator or whatever, but if you want to go in Congress and serve in Congress 30 years and make a job out of it, some people do, you know, I think that there's that's where you have some issues. It is, and I think you re, you need a real solution. Ted Cruz and I worked on this a couple of times. We couldn't even get out of the committee. So, the, so what I tell people is, I would not vote for another federal elected official 
officer of any position unless they were willing to put it in writing. I, I think that's yeah. the only deterrent because once they get to Washington, uh, they're going to look the other way. Uh, Ted Cruz and I found that out. Even yeah, though we tried to get it done. It, so. It's funny you mentioned that because I was going to say that earlier. It's sort of become like kind of a token that you just put in your bag and mm-hmm. say, yes, I support term limits. And I've seen that so many times where people mm-hmm. get to D.C. and you never hear another word of it again until it's time to run for office. And then, you know, six terms later, I still support him, but nobody's brought him yet. So. That's yeah. what we're dealing with. But I'm glad to see that you, and I do remember that, uh, you guys were working on something that's actually, uh, in my opinion, sustainable, holds people accountable. You know, and will the media go after them? I mean, that's another question, right? But if you're Republican, they will. So um, one more question. I wanted to go in here. Um, since you are running for Senate in this state, you know, I think most North Carolinians, you know, whether they like the governor or not, whether they support the mass mandates, um, there's a lot of work that has to be done in this state, not just for the United States. I think a lot of damage has been done here to our economy uh, in this last year and a half because of these lockdowns and shutdowns. Um, what is the number one thing that you want to accomplish in the Senate that will help North Carolinians? Well, <clears throat> I can go down a list of issues as far as standing for life, making sure our defense is where it needs to be making sure that religious liberty is protected, and I applaud President Trump being the only president ever to address that issue at the United Nations. But I'm going to throw you a little bit of a different answer because I think this is so crucial. I think part of my role, part of my calling, is to make sure that we're taking what we believe and making sure we're being successful in the way we message it. It's not just about... Uh, holding to a certain set of ideals. That's important. That's going to be your fundamental. But if the, but if it never reaches the ear of the audience, then what good is it? it right. Because we, we now know that we're fighting against big tech, education, arts and entertainment, revisionist historians, uh, social media, you name it. Yeah. We, we, we now know that's an issue. So do we look the other way? Do we just say, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm a Republican. I'm going to push the right button here. Or do we find a way to get out there and break through some of these societal walls to make sure that everybody hears and understands what individual liberty, hope, and opportunity and prosperity means. When I go into places where Republicans aren't normally invited, I begin to talk about Psalms 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew you when you were mother's womb, which means he has a specific purpose and plan for your life. Do not let this leftist federal government say, this is your ceiling. Yeah. So what am I passionate about, as you can probably tell, is not only fighting for these ideals, but finding a way to be successful, to taking it to places and communities who simply have not been afforded the opportunity to hear the great ideals of what made this country exceptional from the very beginning. That's what I'm passionate about, and that's what I'm running for the United States Senate. I, I love that. You know, I you I hate to say it's a good like good answer, right? It's weird to say, but I mean, that was, I wasn't even expecting that because to me, you just don't hear that. Like people would respond like, oh, you know, I want to work on taxes or health care, but you kind of, it embodies you. Uh, it's got to it, come it from emb- the heart. It comes from the heart. It embodies you. It's a part of your character. And, and I think it's really a part of your growing up and, and your family and, and being a Baptist minister. And, you know, people don't really know this much. I was going to start the show and have it as an independent show, but I met Stu Epperson. And there's really no way to describe Stu Epperson. <laughs> He's an amazing guy. And he told me he runs this Christian broadcasting station. Yes. And I, and I said to myself, I did the research on this, and I knew from the past that, you know, there's like 15 million Christians in this country mm-hmm. who do not vote. Yeah. But they may be listening to this radio station. And I said to myself, I said, you know what? I want my podcast 
to be hosted by the Truth Network. And I want to reach out directly through these interviews, through these discussions, talking about what's happening in our country and our government. I want these these folks to hear it because I don't think they're hearing it from anywhere else. Because if they did hear about what's happening at the border, if they did know everything that was inside of this 1.9 welfare permanent stimulus check that they've created, the stimulus bill, if they knew these things, they would be terrified, terrified enough to go register to vote, be, you know, participate in their civic duty to get out there and vote for the right people who are going to continue to make America prosper, to make this country, should I say, yeah, but make it great again, save America, right? And that's why I started this show and that's why I started this program. And that's why when you said that, I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, you have beyond just you know, you have jobs and careers, you kind of took that career level where it's like, this is me. This is who I am. So I, I definitely respect that. But that, I mean, yeah, it, it really is, is that you, when you enter office, when you go to do these, you know, higher, be, being a higher calling, going into Congress and, and, and representing such a vast state of different demographics, different people from all backgrounds, you will learn in those journeys, and I've learned that too the last four years, is that not everybody knows what's going on in this country. They don't know the detriment that some of these bills are, are, are putting on our society, the long-term effects of some of this, you know, you hear the rap lyrics nowadays. Um, you know, and I, and I have to say, I think the left should be more worried about rap lyrics than they are about Dr. Seuss. I just had to throw that in there because, you know, this is the reality in this country, and I think you know. I think you're going to make a fine senator. I really do. I I'm so glad that we were able to bring you on the program today. Is there anything you'd like to say, Ryan? Rudolph? Listen, I, I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. Uh, it's amazing that God has gifted you at such an age to be out there and just speak truth. Uh, I think there's a misnomer out there that you can't love your neighbor and still tell the truth at the same time. And I think that's the calling that all of us have to get out there. We care about all of our communities. And I'm committed to making sure that every single one of them understand what it is that we believe. And I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Thank you guys for tuning into this podcast. If you want to support and volunteer for Mark Walker's campaign, go to walker4nc.com. That is walker4nc.com. And please, guys, submit your questions to us. We're going to answer them on the next show. It is patriot at rfangle.com, patriot at rfangle.com. Email us your question, guys. Thank you so much, Mark. It was a pleasure having you on. We'll have to have you on again in the future when you're in the Senate. Look forward to it.